Hello, homies. I just had to add that in there for you. Many of you don't know, but usually when I record, I have our two dogs and one of our cats lying at my feet. And our beautiful little ginger cat has just been lying here with me, purring his head off. And I just had to include that little audio clip for you. So today we speak with homeopath and educator Mary Alice in the UK, who is the course director of three different homeopathic schools, the Southern College, the Midlands College and the Iceland School. And she is the chair of homeopathy training, which is all the colleges of the UK who meet to raise the level of education in homeopathy. She is also a trustee on Homeopathy Action Trust and the representative of this in the 4-H group. Now, we mentioned 4-H towards the end of the episode, and they have a wonderful free app, which I want to encourage all of you to go and download. It's very helpful with your home prescribing, giving you information on various remedies, as well as which remedies to use for various conditions. You can find it by searching Homeopathy UK in the App Store. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Homeopathy Hangout Podcast, where we discuss all things homeopathy from around the world. And now your host, Eugenie Kruger. Hello, homies, and welcome back to Homeopathy Hangout. Today, we get to hang with homeopath and educator, Mary Alice, all the way from the UK. Welcome, Mary. Hello. Nice to meet you, and thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure. Now, you're going to be talking about a topic today that's very close to my heart, homeopathic education, and hopefully we're going to be inspiring lots of new future homeopaths listening to this episode. But before we get into it, can you tell our listeners a little bit about how you first discovered homeopathy? Certainly. Um, Like many people, I found homeopathy via my children. I just had my second son, and my first son, who was three, had a cough at night constantly. And the doctors had prescribed Ventolin syrup. And for some reason, I didn't like giving it to him. So I started working just part time at a chiropractor's office where there was a homeopath. And I just chatted to her and I said, can you help? So I took him to see her. And two pills later, his cough was gone. So for me, that was like, wow. And then I hadn't wanted to do anything with my youngest son, vaccinate or anything like that. I wanted to try and keep it natural. So I started to see her for both children. And then I had a condition called polycystic ovarian syndrome. So both my children were IVF um, and I was told it was incurable and that was it. So I asked her if she could help me and I saw her for three years. And at the end of it, my polycystic ovaries were normal. So that really just sparked everything and I got more and more interested and I'm uh, a bit of a bookie and I read everything. I didn't know about homeopathic first aid courses at the time. I wish I had because I would have definitely gone long one. And it was a few years later when things were happening, I decided to train as a homeopath a bit spontaneously. I thought about it on the Wednesday. I phoned up and I started on Saturday. So um, a bit of my life story. I, uh, jump into things last minute, but um, it's worked well for me. (laughs) Same here. It's worked well for me too. (laughs) And um, then how did you go from studying homeopathy to now owning three colleges? (laughs) Yeah. So it took me a while to train because I'd um, started a business, a recruitment business at the same time as I started to train, which was a bit mad. I was also a single parent at the time and it just got a bit too much. So I took a two-year break, moved 
and then met somebody who was in training as a homeopath at the college I'd gone to who just kept saying to me, you have to go back, you have to go back. So I did, but to a different college. And then I qualified and I gave up my recruitment business because that was it for me. I just Mm -hmm. wanted to be a homeopath. I was Mm -hmm. like an enthusiastic bunny, just wanting to treat everybody. And then my old college um, was selling um, their college. They were closing, Um, but that didn't work out for me. But that set the seed. And so I just sat there and thought, why not open one myself? Mm. Um, Which was a bit mad because I had never done any teaching. I hadn't set up a college, but I had set up a a recruitment business. So I thought I can do it. And I had several patients who wanted to train. So that's what we did. We found a premises, we set up the course and we started. And after a few years, I have had a link with Iceland for over 45 years. I've had friends there and I've been visiting. And via Facebook, I met homeopaths um, in Iceland. And so when I was over there, I met um, some homeopaths and we started chatting. And the college, which had been my old college, had closed down. So... I thought this was a wonderful opportunity. It gets me a chance to go to Iceland a lot, restart the uh, homeopathic community there. And I found a wonderful homeopath, Tina, um, who helped me start it. So that's been going for several years now. And then just recently, um, we've started the Malvern College. And that was from a colleague who had the Birmingham College and that had closed down. And that was tragic, you know, hearing so many colleges closed down so I just sort of said, do you want me to restart it? But we moved from Birmingham to Malvern because it's beautiful. And that started in November. So uh, we had quite a good intake from there. That's incredible. Um, it is very sad when you talk about these colleges closing. What, what do you think the homeopathic education scene has been like over the past few decades, maybe? Just, just run us through that. And where do you think it's going to at the moment? Um, I think it's a bit tricky. I think the people who started the colleges are, are getting to retirement age. Mm. and the numbers dropped and it's like any business when you have a huge intake and then it goes very small Mm. it's a bit of a worry whereas I always thought if I have one student I'm doing fine Mm. (laughs) because I you know we are small colleges which we actually quite like but we haven't got that many outlays so I can just start them up Mm. um I am a bit enthusiastic and I think a lot of people are getting tired we need fresh blood so to speak we need younger homeopaths coming in and restarting this education again because it is older people who want to retire and there didn't seem to be anybody who wanted to carry the torch forward I think that's changing you know Robert Davidson who I trained with always talked about homeopathic warriors and I I I like that title and I think we are a bit homeopathic warriors and that we're going ahead with that torch and I know a lot of our students we have a training program where we can train them into being tutors because when I qualified, you couldn't get a job as a tutor without experience. Whereas, you know, we start off with a mentoring program. So the graduates become mentors to the student. Then they start doing a bit of the polycrest, a bit of the first aid and then carry on. So they then get into a teaching program. Mm. And as chair of homeopathy training, which is in the UK, all the colleges Uh, meet it's been going for about 20 years now and talk about the progression of homeopathic education and improving it all the time and we're in the process of setting up an education for tutors so teaching them how to be tutors 
of mm. homeopathy mm. because it's not like any other course. Mm. So that's something that we're in the process of doing. I think that will make a big difference in the future. That's incredible. And who is your typical student? Is there such a thing? Uh, hmm, no. Um, I would like younger people to come on board, but it tends to be from early 30s up until 60s. Mm. So we do have some older students, and I think I intend to be doing this into my 90s. Yeah, same. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 60 in a couple of weeks, So, um, but I still feel like I've got a lot of enthusiasm. So that tends to be what we have. But I would like, if possible, younger people to think of it as a career because it is a career. You can make a living from this. And I think a few years ago, that was the the story that people used to say was you can't make a living as a homeopath. Yes, you can. And you can make a good living as a homeopath. Absolutely. I agree. And um, especially with COVID at the moment, I mean, you can maybe talk to our listeners about how the role, you know, how the homeopath's job has changed. And and, uh, certainly you've said that you've been so much busier. I have as well. And many of my colleagues have too. Maybe have a talk to us about that. Yeah. So um, I think, you know, renting a room and trying to find patients and paying out all that money, which I've never thought was a great idea. Or if you worked from home, again, that has its problems. Mm -hmm. But with COVID and Zoom, which everybody, I mean, we used it a bit, didn't we? I think Zoom or Skype, Skype wasn't that brilliant. But since then, I mean, it's just you don't have to move from your room. You can see patients one after the other. It's just been brilliant. And um, I think it's the way forward Mm. um, because I now have, I did have patients from across the world anyway, especially some in Iceland, some in the States and Europe. But now I can see from anywhere, which is great. So it's a great it, career choice because you're not affected by lockdowns or anything else. All you need is your computer and an internet connection and you're ready to go. So yeah. it yeah, really is absolutely. a career for the future. I just want yeah. to pipe in something there about, uh, you know, homeopaths. We typically discover homeopathy when we have children. And absolutely, that tends to be a story through the banks. That uh, is how we discover it. And then, of course, we have little kitties, so we don't get to study straight away quite often. It takes us a little while. So by the time we're done with our studies, often we're in our, you know, I was mid-30s. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, often people are, are much older when they first start with homeopathy. The other thing is, I think when you first, if you were to just go straight into homeopathy as like a 18 or a 20 year old, um, it can be tricky because you do need that life experience now, because you're going to be seeing people from all sorts of walks of life and you really need to be able to relate to them. So sometimes having that life experience helps, but I would never, ever, ever see that as a deterrent for a young person to get into homeopathy because we at our clinic, we've got two sisters, uh, 19 and 20 year old sisters, and uh, they've obviously, they've come to see me and they've seen me in clinic and they've seen how busy I am and what a great career choice it is. So they did consider becoming homeopaths. And I said to them, you know, you don't necessarily need that life experience. You could actually study as an 18, 19, 20-year-old and then just go straight into a children's ear, nose, and throat clinic. So you're just dealing with ear, nose, and throat. You don't have to do the anxiety, the depression, the PCOS, all the other complex conditions. Just focus on ear, nose, and throat, and you will have a thriving clinic because there are mm. so many children suffering with that and so many parents seeing pediatrician after pediatrician and not getting answers. So don't let age put you off at all. Mm, I totally agree. Um, and I think the people who are interested in homeopathy, um, even youngsters, 
I think there's a certain type of person who's quite exploring, looking at, at different things. They're not just looking at a fast buck, which, you know, I was in recruitment. That's what your job was. So they're a bit more, it's not the word evolved, but um, more mature mm. in, in attitude. So um, I think it's a really good career. I, I do, even at a youngster. Um, I would like to, I think 25 is a really good age. Um, because you've had some life experience you might have uh, been to uni um, but it's not fulfilling enough and you want a career and I think that's a really good age to start Mm -hmm. training I agree and even if you start earlier and then end up doing professional development and say more advanced courses by the time you're done you'll probably be about 25 26 anyway so yeah yeah, yeah. age definitely isn't a barrier no and our course is four years so even if Mm. you start at 25 and we do one of the things that I think is really important in our college is that we um, do practice development and that carries on. So we have a graduate program where we do CPD Mm. um, so that you're constantly learning because it can be a lonely business, Mm -hmm. but I think building up networks of other homeopaths and being involved still with the college and coming on courses and lectures is a really great way of, of being connected and developing your skills. I think it's, it's, not a great thing if you're sitting in your room talking to people and you don't explore anything else because homeopathy is developing just like medicine is developing and new things are coming in all the time Mm -hmm. and science is catching up with homeopathy so we're discovering more about how it works and I just think it's so exciting so you know (laughs) it is constantly learning is is what keeps you going it really is, yeah. And it's such a wide variety. I mean, you could, if you were just to go and study a piece of Materia Medica, you can look into the mythology of this substance. You know, you can look into um, the chemical compounds of it and any sort of uh, folklore behind it, as well as, you know, any toxicology reports and the proving. So it's just so multifaceted and uh, multidimensional. Yeah. Yeah. That's what makes it so interesting, I think. Mm-hmm. Now, something you've done that really has intrigued me is the homeopathy supports refugees. Can you tell our listeners what that is and what the, or what that yes. was and what yeah what, what you it did was? There? Yes. So, in two thousand, I think it was fifteen, the end of two thousand and fifteen, um, some homeopaths, Rick's Pike, went to Calais. She was invited to Calais in France because there was the jungle there, um, a big camp, and. It was, yeah, pretty tragic. There weren't, there was Medicine Sans Frontier helping out, but there wasn't a lot of help for the people. And we, I'd been looking at the news and thinking, I'd love to do something. Um, so a group of us got together and we formed Homeopath Support Refugees and we went out uh, originally to Dunkirk, which was called the Forgotten Camp. I didn't even know there was a camp there. And it was, the conditions were truly awful. I mean, you were knee deep in mud and it was mostly families living in tented place in the mud, in the cold. They had 13 toilets with Mm -hmm. 4,000 people and some of them didn't work. Three shower blocks. They had scabies and TB and diarrhea and vomiting and these children. And we just went to see what we could do. There were other volunteers there that had made a woman's tent, which they allowed us into where the women and children could go, where it was dry and warm. And we started treating people and we went back every couple of weeks. And then when Dunkirk got demolished because they kicked everybody else, it then went to Calais. And at the time we were going, there were 10,000 people in the camp, which was horrendous, but they made it a thriving community. I mean, it was 
wonderful what they did. And we saw a thousand people in two days. There were about five of us and it was, we were surrounded and we were just giving out remedies. And we had a wonderful response from the homeopaths here who made up remedies for us and sent them so that we had enough because we, we gave, it tended to be the same sort of thing that you could give because you had about two minutes of miming and we had people who were interpreting for us to get what the symptoms were. So we had a, a snot chart with different color phlegms that they could just point to, a poo chart. They would show us their skin. And so we had scabies mix, lung mix, cough mix, shock mix, trauma mix. So we did lots of mixes. So it wasn't classical homeopathy um, because you just couldn't do that there. And we did that until the camp again was demolished. And then we went out for a few months more, but they were scattered and it became quite dangerous and difficult to treat people because we were going into the woods and there was a couple of us on our own and Mm. it just got too difficult. So, and I did it for about two years and I was a bit worn out. So Mm. we stopped going, but then the Grenfell fire happened. And so a group of us started there and that that grew and that's still going on a bit. COVID mm. obviously knocked it. Um, I wasn't so involved in that, but we carried it on. So it's still there um, for the next crisis that we could do something. But I have to say that the homeopaths as a community were wonderful in mm. that rallying together and, and providing us with donations for remedies and tinctures and clothing and sleeping bags and things like that. They just didn't only do remedies. Um, they were wonderful. So. Yeah, it was a, it was the best of times and the worst of times mm-hmm. is how I describe it. But it made me hone my prescribing skills um, because you had to be on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the homeopaths there, we worked really well as a team. If you had somebody talking to you and you're thinking, oh, what remedy? Somebody else would go, that's Kali Bick or that's, you know, mm-hmm. something. And because we all seem to be working in connection and we could hear what was going on and sometimes pop in with a remedy and you go, oh, of course it is. So, um, yeah, wonderful time. That's really incredible. And I really hope that homeopaths can start doing more of these across the world. We've got another interview um, with a lady who was with uh, Homeopaths Without Borders and they also oh, yeah. did some incredible work in, was it the Honduras, I think? <laughs> and Haiti, wasn't it? Did they do oh, Haiti? Yeah, I think, I think some of them went, went there as well. But yeah. it's just it's beautiful seeing that. So, so great. So just back to the homeopathic education, what's, um, what sort of topics can a student look forward to learning with you? And, and what sort of things do you think is important for them to learn in their, in their training journey? It's really interesting. Hi, homies. Just a quick break in the episode to ask for your help. Producing this show takes a lot of time and money, and I would really appreciate your support so I can continue producing new episodes for you to enjoy you can visit www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash hangout to make a donation from as little as $5. Believe me, every little bit helps. I'd also like to invite you all to my Facebook group called Homeopathy Hangout, where we can continue the conversation. And for my Australian listeners, check out my amazing range of homeopathic kits, remedies, crystals, supplements, and more at www.eugeniekruger.com. All right, let's get back to the episode. Thanks for your time because a lot of students come in and they've done the first aid course and they think it's just about remedies and then they come in and it's the philosophy and the methodology and we're a practical college so we we don't just teach one method we teach several Mm. um so it's quite in-depth 
And um, it's wonderful to see them sort of blown away and then panicky and then the light bulb moments as the, as the course pro- progresses. It, and it's, it tends to be the first year is like, I love it. I love it. It's just wonderful going into second years. Ah, I don't know anything and I can't do this. And then the third year it's, ah, I'm getting it. Oh, that makes sense. Oh, that's why that does. And then the fourth year, it's just honing their skills. And and we start to have clinics immediately, so from year one. Wow. And we get to take cases because, as Robert Davidson said, who was my principal, you can't learn to fly a plane unless you get in the cockpit. So we have clinics online now, Zoom, and they take cases and they're, we hold their hands. So by the end of the fourth year, they have a practice. They have patients and they have a practice. Mm-hmm. So that's the progression. We also teach flower essences. We teach herbal tinctures. We um, do quite a lot of self-development work, journey work. So it's quite an eclectic mix, mm. but it's definitely about your journey as the practitioner and how you grow as well, because you are not the person when you leave that you came in. Mm-hmm. You you grow it so much. And um, that's one of the best things of my job is watching that progression and seeing all that, you know, the good and bad times, because you do have them coming in just going, I can't do this. You know, I don't get this. I mean, we had um, one of our graduates, Gabby, who is a veteran and is now working with veterans with PTSD. She wow. did it for thesis and she saw veterans and she's now being funded uh, by Homeopathy UK to see more veterans. And it was really in her fourth years that, that she suddenly went, oh, my God, I get it. She was seeing the remedies work in a different way. And it was the fourth year was her big light bulb moment mm. where she struggled a bit and then suddenly and now she's flying. She's absolutely flying and she's doing GoFundMe pages because veterans who have been, some of them had been on treatment for 10 years for PTSD and hadn't really improved. And then four appointments with homeopathy were sleeping, depression was getting better, relationships being reformed. And they all give, gave testimonials on her graduation about how fabulous it was. Mm. And a lot of them were skeptics. And the wonderful thing about soldiers is they won't take any woo-woo stuff. Yeah. Um, so when they tell you it, it works. It works. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that that was wonderful. So I think you get some people who just right from the start are in it and other people it just takes a bit longer. Mm. Um, but it is it's wonderful to see. And that's what drives me forward because each year is different. Each year brings up a different thing. And one of the things I'm very keen on is that our education doesn't stay stuck in this. We're evolving all the time and looking at new ways of developing it, new ways of of making it better and better and better and evolving in the same way as our students do. Mm. So we're constantly changing, which is what makes me excited. (laughs) Yeah. And is your teaching mostly online or is it in person or a combination? We did go online um, in lockdown. Um, it wasn't great, to be honest. Um, we have always had some, we have a lady in Doha that could come a couple of times a year, but she was all online. Um, we have now more people online, but we do a mixture mm-hmm. because actually being together in that energy is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of our Icelandic students in lockdown 
came online with us. Mm-hmm. So that was really good. Um, so we do a mixture now. Some people are online if they can't get into us, but we are in person because I mm-hmm. think there is an energy there that is, I don't want to stop that. So I wouldn't do a totally online course. Mm-hmm. A mixture yeah. is fine, but I, I do like being with them. Mm-hmm. And how do people get hold of your colleges? Or how, how, so, how do they get hold of you if they want to enroll or find out more information? So we have a website. Um, which is schhom.com, and all three colleges are on there. Um, and then email me or give me a call. Um, and then I, I normally have a Zoom chat with somebody and just ask, uh, let them answer all the questions. But what we offer is somebody to come in and sit in, either in person or on Zoom, for a weekend, a day or a weekend, and just see what it's like and talk to the other students because. I think I'm quite persuasive, but I think, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I could talk anyone around, but I think it's really good if they meet the students and get to hear what it's like and meet the tutors. So people often like to do that and then they're just really fired up and, and want to join. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. that's what we have. Yeah. Is there anything else that you want to add just about why you think homeopathy is a great career choice or about homeopathic education or just anything else to inspire people to get studying? I think if you are interested in health, yours and anybody else's, and you're interested in people and you want to help, homeopathy really is the way forward because we're talking about planet-friendly medicine. We're talking about non-toxicity. We're talking about raising your health, your vital force, as we call it. And you can do that all with homeopathy with, you know, no danger. There's no harm with it. Um, And I was told recently that the average 55-year-old is on four medications. Mm. I mean, that's frightening. And our children are medicated and have cowpol and all the rest of it. Mm. And you can do it all naturally. I, my youngest now is 26, and he's never been to the doctor. Mm-hmm. Amazing. So, I mean, you know, he thinks I'm a bit of a witch sometimes and, and <laughs> often doesn't want something. But when he's ill, he will say, Mom, have you got something? And to say that, you know, children are now men never needed to go to the doctor is quite amazing. And I think that's that's where we have a place. If I have my leg is broken, I'm going to go to hospital. If there's something, you know, trauma, I'm going to go to the hospital. Mm. It has its place. I'm not saying we are alternative, but I would like an integrated. But we have our place with eczema and asthma and hormones and coughs, mm. colds, earaches. It's wonderful. I mean, my children did moan at me that they never had a day off school because of illness. (laughs) All the other children got a day off school and they never did because if they had something, they got given remedies and by the morning they were fine and they went to school. I think it's it's the way forward. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, if we're talking about a better planet and health wise, I think this homeopathy is is really the green medicine. It really is. I think that's something that we don't harp on enough, really, is just how sustainable homeopathy is. If you want to talk about sustainability or green medicine, nothing tops homeopathy. It is literally the greenest, most sustainable medicine on the planet, hands down, no arguments. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Um, Now, Mary, we always like to 
ask our guests at, at the end of the podcast their three favorite homeopathic remedies and why. And I know that can be a really tricky one, but uh, maybe for you, I can put a little bit of spin on that. What are the three homeopathic remedies that your students uh, maybe find the most interesting or the ones that you get the most interesting comments from when you teach the Materia Medica to your students? Oh, that is a tricky one. Um, <laughs> I think the meditative provings are oh, what yeah. really get our students. And we now, we put a stop on them learning it in the first two years. Because <laughs> <laughs> so it blows your mind, hey? Yeah. So they learn it from the third year. Um, and in one of those is Budlia um, mm. that I use a lot. We used it first in the refugee camps because for trauma, when you gave, when we gave Budlia, there was a 14-year-old boy who had traveled by himself from Afghanistan, <gasps> arrived in Dunkirk in the middle of the night. And being the mother of boys, it, he really got to me and his mm. eyes were haunted. And he just sat there with his arms around his legs and he couldn't speak English and the interpreter couldn't get the full story, mm. but he was in trauma. And we gave him Budlia, 10M, and his eyes you know, the light went on in his eyes and he started playing with some of the little children in there where he'd been wrapped up and it was instantaneous. Mm. Um, so those, that's one of my remedies that I just love. Um, I, I've been using Budlia for a while and actually just uh, another, because I batch record on Fridays and somebody else today mentioned Budlia. I didn't realize it was a meditative proving. I just assumed they had, they used the plant itself, the butterfly bush itself to make the remedy from, but it was actually a meditative proving. I think they're still made from um, the Budlia, but you just meditate on it rather than uh, uh -huh. the old traditional way. I think it's just a different way of proving it. Incredible. Um, and some, yeah, I love them, the, the meditative mm. provings I do. I think they're like the new age. It's like Mediranum Americano is Mediranum super boosted for the 21st century. So where Mediranum might not work, but you see it indicated you would use Mediranum Americano and it just goes, Thing. Wow. Okay. I've so. learned something new today. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and it's emerald. There's another one that is the new carcinosin. So oh. It has all the carcinosin, but it does a bit more. Um, so that's where they're really interesting. And I know that our students love them. Mm, amazing. So we've got uh, Budlia there and emerald and uh, Mediterranean. I would say Arsenicum. Arsenicum. Yeah. And, Medir and Arsenicum, if we're going to, you know, Arsenicum, I think is useful for so many things that it's, it's always by my side and I can give mm -hmm. to people for various things. So, yeah, I like arsenicum. It is such a good one. Okay. So I wonder, Mary, I know you're also involved with 4-H. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is and what they do? Yes. So 4-H is all of the organisations that collectively meet um, and we are promoting homeopathy mm -hmm. um, to the Just general the public. UK, though, and, hey? In the UK, but there are other 4-H's. I think there's Australia now have it. Um, I think China or Hong Kong and a few other places have also mm. connected with 4-H. We, we, we did it in the start, um, but they are expanding. Um, and it's about promoting homeopathy to the general public, but also um, helping practitioners. Um, so for Homeopathy Awareness Week, which is in April, um, we're doing a lot with practitioners about how homeopathy worked for me and sending out posters that 
patients can then write on, take a selfie and send it up to us so that we can do a big campaign on it. So we do lots of campaigns um, every year to promote homeopathy. Um, Also, if you have any detractors that write anything, that's the first line that 4-H tries to deal with it Um, and dealing with the um, Advertising Standards Authority case sometimes go after home pass for the wording we use and so it's it's protecting practitioners mm-hmm. that so it's it's our registering bodies i am a trustee of hat which is homeopathy action trust which is a charitable organization that helps um, practitioners and promotes homeopathy to mm-hmm. the general public as well um, used to be called homeopathy friends about 20 years ago it's now hat mm-hmm. so it's a really good organization and you can find it on findahomeopath.org and that also has a list of all homeopaths in the UK that you can, if you're looking for a homeopath, you would go on there, put in your area, and then mm-hmm. a list of homeopaths would come up. Incredible. And 4-H has got an app as well, hey? It does have an app and it's wonderful. It's so that you can go in on symptoms and look at what symptoms and it would come up with a list of remedies and then you can go on the remedies and it's a free app. Mm. Um, so for people just finding out about homeopathy or just become a, pa- a new patient and you can just go on the app and have a look at things. So it's, it's brilliant. It's I always to recommend it to my clients. It's great. It's really good. I've got it on yeah. my phone as well. It's very handy. Yeah. I use it. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's for everybody. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. It's very, very handy. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I am just so hoping that right now there is somebody listening to this podcast is going to be inspired to get in touch and study homeopathy because it's the it's the career for the future and it's the medicine for the future. It's just got all the ticks the right there to you know have a wonderful career um, helping people around the world. You're not limited by um, your, your location at all. And uh, mm. it's a the one job you will never, ever, ever get bored of. I totally agree. I always <laughs> say that. I have a low boredom threshold, probably why I do different things. Yeah. <laughs> but I haven't been bored for a second. <laughs> I and completely agree. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much for your time. I hope you have a beautiful day. Thank you so much.